just when you thought there was no hope for baby boomers. It's the Rational Boomer Podcast. Logic, common sense, compassion. Yeah, who knew? Now, here's Mike. We are back on the Rational Boomer Podcast. Hopefully your day is going well. Now, you're listening to this podcast on Thursday, but as you know, I've been gone most of the week. I've been in Georgia. So all of these programs have been recorded either on Friday or Saturday of last week. So it's a little tougher to be as timely as I normally am. Normally, I record it in the early morning hours of the day that it's going to be released. So I pretty much talk about what happened the day before and get us ready for the current day. Haven't been able to do that in this case because of uh, me being away. Now, I will tell you this, because we'll probably be going down to Georgia more frequently now, I'm going to get a setup down in Georgia. So when I'm down there, I can do the podcast just as if I would do it here. So we won't have that kind of uh, delay anymore, hopefully unless I go someplace else where I don't have uh, the, the equipment, but I'll figure that out. The important thing is we get you the information, we get you the podcast when you expect you're going to get it. So as you're listening to this, I'm coming back Thursday afternoon. If you're listening in the morning, I'm on my way back. If you're listening in the afternoon and evening, I'm already back. But the most important thing about this day, this Thursday, is the eighth hearing from the January 6th committee, which is going to air in prime time. And that's interesting. We're going to talk about that in a moment. There's a lot of things to consider with that hearing. I just wanted to bring something up because we know how conspiracy theories can play a big part in this country. And typically it's Republicans doing this sort of thing. But on this particular instance, it's... um, Democrats and Republicans. And I just want to put this to bed. We don't need to waste our time on bullshit. And this is bullshit. We know that Donald Trump's ex-wife, the mother of Ivanka, Don Jr. and Eric, passed away a few days ago. And the story is she fell down some steps and uh, she had blunt force trauma to her torso, which is not unusual if you fall down a flight of stairs. Now, there are a lot of people trying to think, well, uh, is, this, is this insidious? Was she killed? Was she murdered? Did Donald Trump go to her house and push her down the steps because she was a witness? That's all bullshit. That's not what happened. She's a woman who was 73 years old. And if you read the articles, you know that she had friends that knew about these stairs and they were worried about them. She's getting older, not as sure-footed as she once was, and they thought it might be dangerous. Well, unfortunately, she fell down the stairs. And apparently it's a pretty substantial flight of stairs. And when a 73-year-old woman falls down some stairs, the possibility of dying is certainly there. There's nothing conspiracy theorist about this. She passed away. It's a sad situation for the family and for her friends. Uh, but this, this, don't read into this. Don't even buy into that fucking narrative because it's all bullshit. One guy even said, oh, well, think of it this way. Didn't Donald Trump call a future witness to the January 6th committee trying to intimidate or trying to influence them? Isn't that what happened? Who's to say that's not 
not Ivana Trump. Well, it's not Ivana Trump. If you listen carefully, what came out of the January 6th committee was that the person Donald Trump called was a kind of mid- or low-level staffer in the White House. That's what was so weird about it. This is somebody Donald Trump wouldn't normally talk to, but he gives them a call. But we know Ivana Trump's not a low-level or mid-level staffer in the White House. It's not Ivana Trump. you got to let that shit go. Let's focus on the things that are important. This whole fucking six years we've been with the Republicans, it's all about distraction. We don't need to distract ourselves. Let that go. It's sad. Okay, we move on. So today is going to be the day uh, that we have the 8th January 6th hearing. Now, when they first announced that they were going to have hearings, they said they would have eight of them in the month of June. Well, now it extended to July. And this is the eighth hearing. So theoretically, this could be the last one, but uh, that's not what's going to happen. As they're doing these hearings, more and more people are coming to the surface. More evidence is coming to light. And this is going to extend these hearings. And I think they knew that all along. I think they knew by having these hearings, this would cultivate more evidence and more witnesses. They knew that. I mean, part of the thing they want to do is keep this as close, keep this going as close to the midterms as possible. And we're still a few months out from the midterms. So we're going to go through July. We're probably going to go through August. And then at some point in September, early October, they're going to give a presentation of the entire set of hearings. They're going to take all the information, put it together, put it in a presentation, kind of put a cap on this whole thing. And that's absolutely crucial because, as you know and I know, people forget shit. You probably don't even remember what the first hearing was about because you're thinking about the last hearing. And prior to that, you were thinking about Cassidy Hutchinson. So we're going to continue having these hearings. And people are wondering, well, the, the, the January 6th committee can't indict anybody, can't prosecute anybody. Why are they doing this? Well, they're doing it very simply to get the information out to the public. And what that ultimately does, it puts pressure on the DOJ. I mean, it's real easy for somebody to say, I'm not going to prosecute him because there's not enough evidence. Well, now the DOJ can't do that anymore because the evidence is out there for everybody to see. So now Merrick Garland and the DOJ have some pressure on them. With all this evidence coming to the surface, if they don't do anything, that's a problem. Now, normally for somebody like Merrick Garland, and it's not just Merrick Garland, it's any attorney general, they would be reticent to prosecute a a former president of the United States. And people will always say, why is that? Well, there's a good reason for that. The reason is if a Democratic attorney general prosecutes a Republican former president, This is going to start out some retribution, some shit show back and forth stuff. What they're afraid of when they prosecute a Republican former president is that as soon as the Republicans get in, they're going to want revenge. So whether it's warranted or not, then they will try to impeach and try to indict the sitting president. Now, we know the Republicans aren't above that. 
They say a lot of stuff that's not true. They make accusations that aren't true. For example, (laughs) the 10-year-old girl who was raped and had an abortion. They told you it was a hoax. Only because it didn't work well with their narrative. They figured if they could get people to believe it was a lie, it was a hoax, it would just own the Democrats, and they're just trying to make trouble and make the Republicans look bad. Unfortunately, it didn't work out well for the Republicans because it was true, and they look fucking bad. They look really bad. So what you have to understand is something a boss of mine told me years ago, and it really pissed me off when when he said it. He said, you know, I, I tend to be in your face, I tend to be blunt, and I tend to be accurate when I say those things. The problem is, is people, people don't respond well, depending on how you deliver that information, even if it's true. People get butthurt or hurt feelings, and 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 uh, even if it was true, they don't they don't like being called out. Okay, and I'm one of these people that would call people out if they were wrong or doing something unethical. And he told me this. He said, "Mike, you have to understand something. Perception is everything." Now I've heard that phrase before, but I hate that fucking phrase because that tells me that truth and justice and what's right doesn't count. It's just all about perception. And that makes me angry because that's not the way it should be. But you know what? He's fucking exactly right. It's all about perception. And what the hearings are trying to do right now is change perception. We have spent four years, six years of listening to the gaslighting and the bullshit and the ridiculous shit. And that's become ingrained in a lot of people's minds. As much as you and I know it's all bullshit and it's lies, there are people that are a little lazier, that don't dig into the situation, don't investigate anything other than what they hear on the surface. You know, we're talking clickbait. We're talking about headlines. We're talking about uh, news sources in this country that deliver diametrically opposite fucking information. You go to Fox News, they'll tell you one thing. You go to MSNBC, they'll tell you another thing. So what that means is those people who only watch those sources only know so much. And this is why we have divisiveness in this country. Yeah, the politicians are part of it, but the media, the media is spending their days misinforming or ill-informing the people. And as long as we have people that are misinformed or ill-informed, We have a problem. We have divisiveness. If I go to a Trump humper who watches nothing but Fox News, he's going to say to me, the Mueller report totally exonerated Donald Trump. And I will say to them, look, no, that's not true. Because in the Mueller report, there is 10 separate obstruction of justice offenses by Donald Trump. And then they'll come back and they'll say, well, why wasn't he indicted? Why wasn't he prosecuted? Well, it had nothing to do with whether he was guilty or not. It had everything to do with he was president and he was protected. So you see, you got two factions of people. You got the people that think he was totally exonerated by the Mueller report. And you've got the other people that know that he committed crimes, but he just wasn't indicted because he was president. Now, that side is right. But the people who watch nothing but Fox News know nothing different. I mean, 
even if you told them like like I did in that scenario, I don't know whether they believe it. And the reason they don't believe it is because their news source isn't delivering that information. That's where the divisiveness comes in. So now with the January 6th committee, they're trying to get as much information out there as possible. Try to change the narrative. Try to change the perception. And you know what? It's working. And we can see it with the polls of the upcoming elections. The Republicans are taking a fucking huge hit. More and more people are seeing the criminality. And a lot of people are seeing these things for the first time, even though we may have known about all these criminal activities for six years. These people are literally seeing it for the first time. And they're going, holy shit, I had no idea. Because they didn't. The source of news that they were using never gave them that information. They only gave them what they wanted them to hear to push along the agenda. So the January 6th committee has a big job. They need to inform a lot of people. They need to change perception. And frankly, they're doing a good job of it to this point. But they're also putting pressure on Merrick Garland. Because the worst thing that can happen to Merrick Garland if he doesn't want to prosecute Donald Trump is to let the country know exactly the criminal activities he did. Because Merrick Garland of the DOJs could say, no, we didn't find enough evidence. We'll just sweep that under the rug. And they would do that only because it would, in their mind, cause more problems by prosecuting. So they get off easy. Well, the January 6th committee is making it so he can't get off easy. All this stuff is becoming public. Now he has a fucking choice. He may still think it's the wrong thing to do to prosecute a president. He may think that by prosecuting the president, it might cause problems, and it probably will. But now he has to look at the other side. By not prosecuting him, it's going to cause even more problems. So they're really pigeonholing Merrick Garland and the DOJ at this point. They can't just say, oh, nothing here, because there is something there, and everybody's seeing it every fucking day of the week. Now, this hearing that's coming up today, now forgive me if you're listening to it later and the uh, hearing's already over. I can't speak to that right now, but uh, tomorrow morning, when you turn on the Rational Boomer podcast, I will have done... Uh, a podcast after the hearing, and we can talk about that. But in this hearing, it's going to be interesting. And this one, I think, is going to be pretty damning for Donald Trump. Now, in this hearing, they say they will examine 187 minutes when Trump did nothing to quell the Capitol. Now, they've got a lot of sources for this. They've got people who are witnesses that were around Donald Trump during that whole period. And the real troubling thing is that he did nothing. People were begging him to do something, and he did nothing. There's going to be another source, I'm thinking, that tells us exactly what he's doing. And this will be the most damning of all. This may be something along the lines or akin to the tapes in the Watergate hearings. Because you remember, we talked about this documentarian that was brought out to the White House leading up to and during the January 6th insurrection. They were not officially hired. The family brought them in because they're ego-fucking-maniacs and they wanted to document this, what they thought would be a momentous day. His 
his his administration and his advisors didn't know anything about that. And that's where the trouble starts because, of course, Donald Trump makes some horrific decisions. If you let him talk or decide or do anything, you know he's going to fuck up. And by bringing this documentarian in to feed his ego, he fucked up because they've got the whole day on videotape and in in a pretty high quality way because this is meant to be a documentary. So now as well as we have evidence and witnesses as to what he did or didn't do during these 187 minutes, now we've got video of it too. I mean, it's like Georgia all over. He commits a crime on audio tape. It's hard to hard to uh, uh, deny that. And now with all the other things that are happening and all the evidence that's coming to light, they're going to have fucking video to show it. Representative Zoe Lofgren has said former White House counsel Pat Cipollone has already told the House Select Committee about Trump's dereliction of duty. He said that in his hearing. He said... Trump fucked up. He was derelict in duty. Now, this hearing by the House Select Committee today is expected to focus on the three hours when then-President Donald Trump did nothing to quell the violence, despite several entreaties to take action as the supporters raged through the U.S. Capitol. Um, Benny Thompson says, we'll talk about what was going on in the White House while the Capitol was being overrun. And basically, we will show that the president, as best we can put together, was doing all that time or not doing, Representative Benny Thompson said. So this is going to reveal a lot. Who did he talk to? Now, we know he talked to some sitting members of Congress. We talked to the sitting members of Congress and... um, People like Jim Jordan. Of course, nobody talked, at first, talked directly to Donald Trump. They'd have to go through Mark Meadows. And this is one of the reasons I think Mark Meadows is going to take the fall on this one. He was right next to Donald Trump. He was taking in the information, both from people calling in and from Donald Trump. He knew it all. He was in the middle of it. Donald Trump will try to throw him under the bus, but it's not going to work because Everything that Mark Meadows did was in service to Donald Trump. It's kind of like the Michael Cohen thing. Remember, Michael Cohen went to jail because he gave money to Stormy Daniels to keep her quiet. But he didn't do it on his own. It wasn't his choice. It was Donald Trump's choice. But again, Michael Cohen went to jail and Donald Trump didn't. Was it because he was innocent? No, he was guilty as fuck. He would have gone to jail under normal circumstances in that same situation. However, he was president and he was protected. And again, he's no longer protected. House committee member Zoe Lofgren appeared to offer a preview of the key message of the hearing last Sunday when she said that Trump's White House counsel, Pat Cipollone, told investigators that Trump's dereliction of duty during the insurrection According to accounts, Trump spent the afternoon on January 6, 2021, in the White House, enthralled by the TV coverage of the violence as his supporters battered police and rampaged through the Capitol, with some calling to hang Mike Pence for not following his boss's uh, plan to throw out the 2020 presidential election results. We knew this happened. We know that he said 
that he was excited by the fact that these people were willing to go fight for him. That's something a narcissist says. Oh, yes, they're trying to charge the Capitol and kill police officers and overthrow the government. But what wonderful people. They're doing it for me. That's what Donald Trump's attitude was about this. He didn't care about the damage and destruction. He was more enthralled with the fact that these people were fighting for him. And they needed, he needed them to fight for him because he was fucked. He had lost the election. It was going to be certified for Joe Biden. He wanted to do anything he could to stop that certification. Because if he stopped the certification for that day, then it would throw all kinds of chaos into the situation. And that's what Donald Trump thrives on, the chaos. Now he can talk loud and proud and gaslight and uh, control the narrative and cause enough confusion that nobody knows what to do. And his hopes would that it would have gone back to the, uh, um, uh, the House of Representatives and they would vote on it. And because of the way the House of Representatives is structured, he would win in the House of Representatives. This is how he thought he was going to game the system. Now, after telling his supporters at a rally earlier that day to march on the Capitol and fight like hell, Trump gleefully, I mean, he was happy as a fucking lark, and he watched the violence unfold on TV from the White House room. His former press secretary, Stephanie Grisham, told CNN he gushed, look at all the people fighting for me. That's all that mattered to Donald Trump. He didn't care about people getting injured or whether democracy was going to be destroyed. He is a guy that will scorch the earth and burn the bridges behind him just to gain benefit for himself. Trump hit rewind for some sections of the riot on a recorded TV program to watch them again. That's how much he loved this. Now, Stephanie Grisham was the first lady's Melania Trump's press secretary and chief of staff at the time. Grisham, who was interviewed by January 6th investigators, said she quit her job after she asked the first lady that day if she if she should tweet a message asking rioters to stand down. Melanie Melanie Trump responded flatly, no. A lot of people want to give Melanie Melania Trump um, credit that she's this poor victim of Donald Trump. She's not. She knew what she was fucking getting into. She's somebody from another country that didn't have anything going on in her life. She married Donald Trump, not because of his looks or his personality. If she did, she's fucking stupid. She married him because she could get into the country and he had money. The only thing she had going for were her looks. And Donald Trump got sucked in by that. Now, to think that Melania Trump is better then Donald Trump is fucking ridiculous. She's on board. If Donald Trump fails, she fails. So she's backing Donald Trump all the way. Now, another possible witness who may appear is former White House Press Secretary Sarah Matthews. She said she would testify, and she's coming up, who said in a portion of a videotaped statement aired in, in the earlier hearing that she was stunned when Trump attacked Pence in a tweet mid-riot, Matthew said that the message was like pouring gasoline on a fire. And here's what I'm thinking. We know that Donald Trump called some staff member of the White House. 
because that person was going to corroborate um, whatever Cassidy Hutchinson said, and that was problematic for Donald Trump. If I was to bet right now, it would probably be Sarah Matthews. She's kind of a lower-level press aide. Donald Trump would not have spent much time talking to her. But you see, Donald Trump knows what's coming up in the hearings. And you're probably saying, how does he know that? Well, a lot of these people that are testifying in front of the hearing, Donald Trump and the Republican Party are paying for their lawyers. Now, we know Cassidy Hutchinson got rid of her lawyer that was paid for by Donald Trump because she saw that was a problem. But these other people that don't have the money and Donald Trump and the Republicans are paying for their defense— um, this means that Donald Trump and the Republicans are getting the transcripts from these interviews and these depositions. So he knows exactly what's coming. And I would bet almost anything that the person that Donald Trump tried to call is Sarah Matthew, because if she does corroborate what uh, Cassidy Hutchinson said, he's, fu- he's fucked. Well, I mean, he's fucked anyway, but he's really fucked in that situation. Now, Representative Liz Cheney was vice chair of the House Select Committee, said at Tuesday's hearing that Trump had attempted to speak on the phone with a committee witness who had yet to appear and may be on the roster for Thursday. Trump's actions seemed to be an attempt to influence the unidentified support staff, Cheney said. See what I mean? It, it, it seems like it might be Sarah Matthews. It seems like that may be the person he talked to. But who knows? We don't know for sure. Um, Several people, including Donald Trump Jr. and Fox News host Sean Hannity, reached out to the White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows on January 6th to plead with him to persuade Trump to make a statement calling on the rioters, rioters to stand down and go home. Ivanka Trump reportedly personally appealed to her father at least twice that day to tell rioters to go home. Yet, he did nothing. Uh, Cassidy Hutchinson testified earlier this month that a panicky Cipollone told Meadows that the mob was literally calling for Pence to be fucking hung. When Meadows replied that Trump believed Mike deserves it, Hutchinson testified Cipollone replied, this is fucking crazy. And it was. Trump never reached out to Pence, nor did he call the National Guard or police reinforcements that day. Trump finally recorded a video 187 minutes after the violent eruption telling his supporters to go home. And he also added, we love you. You're very special. All of this coming out on Donald Trump is changing the narrative. It's changing the perception of the general public in this country. All right, we will take a quick break and we will be right back. On every show, I tell you that if you have questions, comments, or complaints, just reach out to me at rationalboomer at gmail.com. Those emails come directly to me, and your input is crucial to this show. The show is called Rational Boomer Podcast, but that's not to suggest that I'm the Rational Boomer. I am not. I am simply a Rational Boomer. All of you are Rational Boomers. Anybody of a like mind is a Rational Boomer. Strength comes in numbers and not through an individual. You have perceptions and insights that may have never occurred to me. 
This isn't a show about me. This is a show about us and gaining a voice in this country. There's 70 million baby boomers in this country. Yeah, I know the younger folks would prefer to push us aside. Every generation has done that. But we are a formidable force if we can get together and speak in one voice. This is why I encourage you to let your friends and family know about the Rational Boomer podcast, not to satisfy my ego, but to give us more power, a stronger voice to help right this ship we call the United States of America. Lastly, I'm offering the opportunity for my listeners to be on the show. Now, it could be two minutes, it could be a half hour, it could be the whole fucking show. I'd much rather have you on the show than somebody pimping a podcast or a book. I want to hear what you think. I want to know what you know. The Rational Boomer Podcast is all about us. Now, while it appears that Donald Trump did nothing during the January 6th insurrection, it isn't like he wasn't thinking about doing some things. And one thing could have been horrific for this country. There's a right-wing lawyer that advised Donald Trump to use martial law in effort to overturn the election. Martial law means the military takes over and they do what they want. The idea of seizing voting machines would have been more likely had they done something like that. So while he didn't do that, He was certainly thinking about it. According to a bombshell report from the New York Times around Christmas Day in 2020, Donald Trump spoke on the phone with a right-wing lawyer for advice on using martial law as a mechanism to overturn the presidential election. That's a pretty draconian thing to even talk about, let alone do. Now, the reports note that the new evidence Trump conspired to steal the election comes from notes made by attorney William J. Olson about his conversation with a former president who was at Mar-a-Lago at the time. Now, according to the Times, Maggie Haberman and Luke Broadwater, the lawyer William J. Olson was promoting extreme ideas to the president that Mr. Olson later conceded would be regarded as tantamount to declaring martial law and could even invite comparisons with Watergate. Fuck, Watergate? This is a hundred times worse than Watergate. They included tampering with the Justice Department and firing the acting attorney general, according to the December 28th memo by Mr. Olson, titled Preserving Constitutional Order, describing their discussions. And we know Donald Trump did that, or at least tried to do that. He wanted to kick out Rosen as the attorney general because he wouldn't do Donald Trump's bidding. And instead, they wanted to pull in some fucking crazy ass lower level DOJ guy and make him attorney general. Not because he was qualified or that he was particularly smart. They did that because he was going to do what Donald Trump wanted to do. And that was send out a note to the swing states saying, hey, we found election fraud. Stop the certification. Now, that wasn't true. That was a lie. But as I've said before, what Donald Trump likes to do is he likes to create chaos and uncertainty. And with that uncertainty, he can play his games with his gaslighting and and his uh, rhetoric and his way of controlling the narrative. Now, according to the report, Olson wrote, our little band of lawyers is working on a memorandum that explains exactly what you can do with the Times, adding he marked his notes privileged and confidential. And also added, the media will call this martial law, this is fake news. So this right-wing lawyer, he's a piece of shit too. 
he might have been part of the plans to try to overthrow this government. We need to look at this fuck, too. Why does a guy like this have a law license when he's working against America? Now, the document highlights the previously unreported role of Mr. Olson in advising Mr. Trump as president and was increasingly turning to extreme far-right figures outside the White House to pursue options that many of his official advisors had told him were impossible or unlawful in an effort to cling to power. This goes to what we've talked about before. You had Team Normal and you had Team Crazy. Donald Trump did not like hearing what Team Normal said, and he went to Team Crazy, because not because they were right, or not because their claims were not outrageous. It was because it was what he wanted to hear. It was the only way he could try to do what he could do to, as they said, cling to power. Now, the Times is reporting the involvement of a person like Mr. Olson, who now represents the conspiracy theorist, my pillow chief executive, Mike Lindell. He represents Mike Lindell. This gives you a, an insight as far as his decision-making process. Mike Lindell is a goof. He doesn't have a prayer in his, in his uh, lawsuit with Dominion, and this guy is going to go down in flames. But somehow this lawyer says, well, he'd be a good client. This underscores how the system that would normally insulate a president from rogue actors operating outside the official channels had broken down the door and within weeks of the 2020 election. So, and see, that's that's where my problem is with the, I think, alleged suggestion that there was a team normal. Maybe they understood what was true and what they needed to do, but they were unwilling to push back against Donald Trump. They weren't going to fight against it, even knew, even though they knew it was wrong. And so they were just sycophants that did whatever they were going to do because they were afraid. And unfortunately, that makes them complicit in this whole fucking thing. Now, I found something interesting. Somebody brought this up, and I know all the Trump-humping haters, the haters of Trump, will like this story. I don't know how reasonable it is, but it does make some sense. Now, in a column for MSNBC, former U.S. attorney Barbara McQuaid suggested there is enough evidence revealed so far during the January 6th House Committee hearings on the Capitol insurrection that a case could be made to indict Donald Trump on multiple charges of manslaughter. Sound crazy? Well, not when you think about it. If he incited this insurrection and five people or six people died and a bunch of people were injured, sure, he could be culpable for for uh, the deaths of some of these people, and that would be the essence of manslaughter. Now, according to the former federal prosecutor, the committee is focusing on possible sedition or criminal conspiracy referral to the Justice Department, which would be enough. But another avenue to holding the former president to account for the Capitol riot, he could have encouraged, and that would be a chance to nail him for the lives that were lost on that day. And that makes that makes some sense. Noting five people died in the January 6th attack, Officer Brian Sicknick sustained a fatal stroke a day after the rioters, rioters sprayed him with a chemical, a bear spray. Uh, 
Air Force veteran Ashley Babbitt was shot by police when she tried to climb through the window and enter the house chamber. A Georgia woman, Roseanne Boyland, was crushed by fellow rioters as they pushed their way against the police outside a Capitol door. Kevin Greeson, an Alabama man, died of a heart attack in a sea of Trump supporters on the sidewalk west of the building. Benjamin Phillips of Pennsylvania died of a stroke during the assault on the Capitol. McQuaid claimed it would not be unreasonable to pin their deaths on Trump due to his negligent actions. I mean, think about it. In our day-to-day life, if we are negligent or complicit, in a death, even though we didn't commit the, the, the person to die, we can be held responsible. So, Barbara McQuaid may be on to something here. Under federal law, involuntary manslaughter occurs when a person commits an act on federal property without due care that it might produce death. She explained that Trump's refusal to step in and advise repeatedly by close advisors, including his children, that people could get hurt, could serve as a starting point for multiple charges of negligent manslaughter. It was not until the 187th minute of the riot that Trump put out a video recorded statement asking the mob to go home. I believe his three hours of inaction could amount to an omission necessary to prove the first element of manslaughter, she wrote. For criminal liability, prosecutors must show not just simple negligence, but gross negligence and extreme deviation from the standard of care. Here, Trump certainly was aware or should have been aware of the risk of death of the Capitol. And yet he failed to take action. Testimony from staffers who urged him to act will be important at the upcoming hearing, especially for establishing a failure to take due care. As she notes under DOJ principles of federal prosecution, prosecutors should generally charge the most serious, readily provable offense. And uh, that is debatable that manslaughter charges could take precedence over sedition. Donald Trump is fucked here. If, in fact, they are looking at manslaughter charges, that's a pretty serious fucking offense. But so is sedition. Which one is worse? They may not go after both, but they will probably go after one. Charging one crime does not preclude charging another, and the indictments may include multiple counts. Here, charging manslaughter would not prevent the DOJ from also charging Trump with serious crimes, she suggested before offering, if sufficient evidence can be assembled to prove conspiracy to defraud the United States, conspiracy to obstruct an official proceeding or seditious conspiracy, those charges can and should be filed as well to encompass the full scope of this apparent misconduct. Now, as I've said many times, you will get the DOJ and an attorney general reluctant to do something like that because of the shit show it might create with both parties going after one another's candidates and impeachments and, 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 and lawsuits and, and, of course, um, charges, whether they are warranted or not. We can see the Republicans doing such a thing if they get pissed off enough. But at this point, it's gone too far. It's gone way too far. These are serious crimes, sedition, manslaughter, what have you. These are serious crimes. They can't be ignored. I mean, these people keep telling us no one's above the law. 
Well, that's clearly a lie, because if you're president of the United States, you are above the law. But Donald Trump is no longer president of the United States. Remember when they were talking to Mueller during the Mueller uh, hearings, they pointed out that there were 10 cases of obstruction by Donald Trump during this Russia affair. Now, he didn't get charged or indicted for those things because he was president of the United States and he was protected. But Mueller was specifically asked, could he be charged when he's no longer president? And Mueller said, yes, of course. Well, Donald Trump is no longer president. He's got a long list of crimes that he's committed. Um, And he's got a problem now. Now, one of the things that's going on with these hearings is this whole witness tampering thing. But it goes even further than that. We know that Adam Kinzinger is getting death threats, not only to him, but to his family. And while appearing on Saturday Morning Morning Podcast host Dean Obadiah, I believe his name is, joined in with a fill-in host, Sam Stein, to pile on House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy for remaining silent after a member of his own caucus was flooded with death threats against himself, his wife, and his children. But this has been Kevin McCarthy's way of doing things all along. We've got sitting members of the House of Representatives that are Republicans that are committing crimes. Lauren Boebert, Paul Gosar, Marjorie Taylor Greene, Matt fucking Gates, all of these people. And what does he say to them? Absolutely nothing. He just lets them go. And the reason he does that is, once again, what I said before. Anything that goes against their narrative or makes them look bad, it doesn't exist. It's a hoax. It's fake news. Unfortunately, a lot of stuff goes, <laughs> gets passed because Kevin McCarthy doesn't bother to fucking do anything about it. Now, Representative Adam Kinzinger is still a Republican member of the House until the midterm elections. He'll not be on the ballot, and the Illinois Republican recently released audio of a vile death threat he has been getting because he sits on the January 6th committee investing or in, in, in investigating the insurrection egged on by Donald Trump. Now, the lack of response to the threats to Kissinger by the GOP leadership speaks volumes about where they stand, said these podcast uh, reporters. Once you go against Trump and you are fully disavowed by the Republican Party, is that it? Well, apparently it is true. Once you no longer agree or you step up or push back against them, you're fucking done. You're as good as dead to them anyway, so if you're getting death threats, who gives a fuck? The lack of response to the threats to Kissinger by GOP leadership speaks volumes about where they stand. Once you go against them, you're fucked in the Republican Party. It's a very mercenary organization. It seems like it is worse than that, though, said the uh, podcast host. Secondly, Look, this is not about marginalizing a voice. This is about a deluge of vile voicemails released last week at Congressman Adam Kinzinger's death threats against him, his family, his wife, his child. This comes on the heels of a month ago when there was a handwritten letter delivered to the house, to his house, to his wife, that he released to the public was saying that they were going to execute him, his son, and you. 
Now, when Republicans are concerned about threats, they speak out, he continued. When Brett Kavanaugh had threats or protests in front of his house, Kevin McCarthy was incensed. He was on the floor of the House. He was on Fox News tweeting about it. But when Adam Kinzinger revealed these threats, nothing, not a fucking thing. This message is clear. We value certain lives, but not others. But it all stems from if you're on our team, if you buy into the narrative, if you agree with us, we'll protect you. But if you have the audacity to say something against us, who fucking cares? Somebody wants to kill you, good for them. And that's the attitude of the Republican Party. The Republican Party has actually pretty much gone rogue. They don't do anything in terms of what the norms of our, our government has normally done. It's just all about us. I mean, we see it in their politics, too. They have no platform. Their only platform was overturning Roe v. Wade. Now it would appear as though that that's what they've done. And this is problematic about, um, about, uh, about the Republicans because it can't go well for them in any way, shape, or form. Now, the one fuck (laughs) that I'm starting to laugh about, um, because his trial has already started. You know, again, I'm out of town. It's Thursday. I don't know if we've gotten any revelations from from this trial. I'll try to catch up with that. But Steve Bannon. Apparently, Steve Bannon is shell-shocked. He claims... Trump would lie about anything to win. That came out in a new book. And he had another book on the Donald Trump years. Political White House Bureau Chief Jonathan Lemire reports that former Trump advisor Steve Bannon claimed he was taken aback at the ease with which the former president would lie or order others to do so, just so he could briefly look good in the press. (laughs) This is news to Steve Bannon, the guy that hung out with Donald Trump all the time. It's funny, we Democrats or we people that are against Donald Trump know he's a fucking liar, that everything that comes out of his mouth is a fucking lie. This is not news to us. According to The Guardian, which has obtained a copy of Lemire's book, The Big Lie, Election Chaos, Political Opportunism, and the state of American politics after 2020, Bannon was more forthcoming on his early dealings with the now former president than he had been in the press while Trump was still in office. (laughs) As The Guardian's Martin Pengeli recalled in a 2018, Bannon sat down for an interview with ABC's John Carl, who pointed out to the Trump advocate that the then president didn't always tell the truth. Would Bannon say, he said, I don't know that, while asserting the accusation was another thing to demonize him. Donald Trump doesn't lie. You're just trying to demonize him. No, we're just fucking telling the truth. The president never lied. This is what Carl asked Bannon, who bluntly replied, No, not to my knowledge. You'd expect that out of Steve Bannon. However, as Lemire reports, Bannon told another story when he wasn't on camera and under the watchful gaze of the media-obsessed president. According to Lemire's book, even for Bannon, Trump was something new. The chief strategist told me that Trump was not looking to win 
a news cycle. He's looking to win a news movement, a news second. At the uh, time, Shellshock Bannon would relay to aides that Trump would say anything. He would lie about anything to win that moment, to win whatever exchange he was having at that moment. Lemire continued, entire campaign proposals had to be written on the fly, policy plans reversed, engineered, teams of aides immediately mobilized to meet whatever floated through Trump's head in the moment to defend his record, put down a reporter, or change a chiron. This is something I've said about Donald Trump since he got into office. The moment I realized he was a narcissist, not unlike my father, something I've learned a lot about by living with him all those years, there is no strategy. There is no thinking about anything. Everything is emotional and reactionary. If I walked up to Donald Trump if I walked up to Donald Trump or somebody like him and I said, Donald, you're a pussy. Within a scintilla of a second, he would come back. He says, oh, yeah, you're going bald or you're fat or your face is wrong or this is wrong. This isn't about a thought process. He isn't considering the moment or what he says and what impact uh, it is it would have on him down the road. He doesn't think beyond the end of his nose. He just reacts. And this is what the people in the White House found out as they were around him. They're thinking, oh, great, I'm in the White House. I'm working on a big job in the White House. This is going to be so great until they had to deal with Donald Trump. And then Donald Trump throwing out crazy shit and them having to figure out a way to make it happen, even though they knew it was bullshit, that it was a lie. Like Bannon said, he even made these people lie, and we know they did. Remember Sean Spicer, who was the press press uh, person for Donald Trump when he first came out? What's the first thing that we heard from Sean Spicer? He told us that Donald Trump's inauguration was the biggest audience ever, and if anybody disagrees with that, they are wrong. Well... Sean Spicer knew that was bullshit, but he had no choice because Donald Trump told him to say that. He insisted that he say that because, again, Donald Trump's reactionary. He doesn't think about anything about but the moment. Like Steve Bannon said, he is micromanaging his image. Anything that comes out that might tarnish his image, he has to respond very quickly with a retort. Whether it's well thought out or not, it just, it never matters with him. Now, in this hearing today, um, what we're finding, when they plan these hearings ahead of time, uh, they have to adjust on the fly. Because after every hearing, there are more revelations, there's more information, there's more witnesses. So however this particular hearing was planned, it's not going to end up that way because there's too much information. The House January 6th committee corroborated key details involving former President Donald Trump's heated exchange with the Secret Service when Trump was told he could not go to the Capitol. The latest in a string of shocking revelations that have come from the summer hearings with their expected high-profile conclusions next week. Let me be honest. 
this hearing today, this will not be the last hearing. I guarantee you that. There may be multiple hearings after that. They said there would be eight, but there's just too much. There's going to be more coming. Hell, they're talking about wanting Mike Pence to, uh, uh, to testify and Donald Trump himself. That would add a couple of, of uh, hearings if they could get them to show up. Now, CNN first reported uh, last Thursday evening at a Washington, D.C. police officer in the motorcade with the Secret Service corroborated details to the committee that were related to the explosive House Select Committee public testimony earlier this month. At the same time, the Secret Service came under new scrutiny with the deletion of all these texts from January 5th and January 6th. On Friday, the January 6th committee issued a subpoena to the Secret Service. That's kind of unprecedented. So things are starting to shake up. Cassidy Hutchinson said that she had heard from a Secret Service agent that Donald Trump got mad in the limousine, that he tried to grab the wheel, that he tried to lunge at the Secret Service agent. But of course, Tony Orinato, Donald Trump's buddy, said, ah, that never happened. But now we're seeing cooperation from people in the know, like the police department, who said, yeah, that really happened. We know from what we were talking about previously, they will lie about anything just to cover up something that makes them look bad. And in this case, Donald Trump did exactly what Cassidy Hutchinson said. And it's not surprising knowing what Donald Trump's personality is. He's very volatile. He loses his temper. If he doesn't get his way, he lashes out. And he did that with the Secret Service. Now, the corroboration comes as the committee plans to zero in on Trump's conduct on January 6th at its hearing today, which will focus on Trump's response or lack thereof as rioters breach the Capitol walls and force lawmakers to flee. Select committee members have accused Trump of a dereliction of duty. We talked about that earlier for failing to act. And the fact that Mike Pence was being threatened with his life, that makes it even more egregious. Now, the hearing is the last planned for the committee's eight public hearings as the panel has sought to, in each session to tie Trump to the deadly attack that unfolded January 6th. They're saying there will be a lot of information, a lot more clarity about the details of the things that happened that day. What the, what the people who were working in the White House, working around Donald Trump, and even people who were advising him to do things, actions that he was not taking based off their reasoned advice. Virginia Democrat Elaine Luria, who will help lead the next hearing, told CNN, I look at this as a dereliction of duty. He didn't act. He did not take action to stop the violence. So, as I've said, every time we have a hearing, that changes the next hearing. While the eighth hearing is supposed to be the last, it just can't be. And it would be stupid for them to do this. They should expose every bit of evidence that they can possibly expose between now and November. And the closer they can take this to November, the better. Because as we know, people have short memories. They fucking forget shit. So you got to keep this in the narrative. Now, what the best possible thing that could happen is that we have the hearings, they end, and then we start getting some legal action. 
you know, some indictments, some investigations, some more grand juries and that sort of thing. That will keep the narrative focused on this and not what the Republicans want you to hear. If you think the January 6th committee hasn't considered this or that it isn't part of the plan, you're mistaken. These are smart folks. They've done a great job with these hearings, and they are going to use these hearings to the utmost. They are going to be very efficient and very effective in what they're doing. So today, technically the last hearing, I don't honestly believe that it will be the last hearing. Now, in tomorrow's podcast, I'll be talking about what went on in the hearing, and we'll have a better sense of what the future holds. But I seriously think they're not even close to done with Donald Trump at this point. All right, we're going to wrap up the Rational Boomer podcast. I want to thank you for taking the time to sit down and listen. We'll back, be back uh, almost in live fashion come tomorrow morning. So be sure to stay in touch with us here on the Rational Boomer podcast. I hope you have a great day. And we will talk to you tomorrow. Thanks for listening to the Rational Boomer Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. We'll see you next time.